this computer. Okay, it's recording. Does it say it's recording on your end? Yes. Okay, awesome. Yay, Fran. So thanks for being the first one to uh, bring this idea of doing uh, deep dives on members. And thanks for agreeing to be our number one person to do it. It's an honor to be on the space podcast. (laughs) So I'm excited to kind of just uh, have this be a conversation, deep dive and learn more about you and your background. Um, So can you kind of just share with me where you are at, where you're from, just anything about your background, and then we could just have it be a conversation. Sure. I'm from a small town in Louisiana that no one has ever heard of. It's called Karen Crow. Um, it really was a town when I was growing up. I think now it's might be at city status, but pretty rural, small. And um, only ever lived away when I went to boarding school for two years in Andover, Massachusetts. And I did that because I was in public school in Louisiana, which is one of the worst places you can try to learn. And I felt like I was destined for more. And so I Googled best boarding schools in America and picked one and over, went to it, got a scholarship, went for two years, lived near Boston in Andover, Mass. It was so cold and so horrible that I came back to Louisiana and now I live in New Orleans. So I went to Tulane for college in New Orleans and I've lived here ever since. So like six years Well, I've never been to boarding school. So can you talk about like that experience? Well, I was the only person from Louisiana. I think I was, um, I don't know if you can call it like a a diversity admit, but they didn't have anyone from Louisiana. So I think I was, that was like a little bit of a little um, thing because they were like so proud of the diversity and like having someone from every state and like so many different countries So I was their little Louisiana girl. Um, So I was very out of place. I learned a lot. It, I mean, I don't, I don't think every boarding school is the same. Like Andover was considered pretty liberal. We didn't have like a uniform, something you have to wear like a suit and tie, Mm. but we did have like curfew, you know, because we live in the dorms and, um, but yeah, definitely a culture shock because it was full of just like the richest people in the world and well, the richest people's kids. Um, and a lot of people from like all over the world, like my first, in my first dorm, one of my like hallmates was like a princess from Dubai. And one of my best friends that I made is like, she's like, I was like, where are you from? She's like, um, Hawaii, North Korea, and Singapore. Like we have houses in all three. And I was like, cool. Oh my God, not North Korea. Sorry, South Korea. I was like, what? (laughs) Those really are some interesting people. (laughs) That's Korea. Um, Yeah. So just like a whole array of people, um, very different from myself. Yeah. Did you find that you were able to connect easily with the people there? Because especially like coming in for just two years in high school, I mean, that's a rough age anyways, like culture shocky wise. Was that something that, you know, was easy or hard or just kind of what was? 
Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. Yeah, I guess it, it was just, it, it was what it was. I switched schools a lot growing up. So I was used to being like the new kid. Mm. And I think especially at this place um, in Andover, I was like unique. I was like different because I was like on scholarship. I wasn't one of these rich people. I was from Louisiana. They did not have like any Southerners. And you, you know, when you hear me talk, I don't really sound like I'm from Louisiana, but to them, they were like, you have a little Southern drawl. Like I've never heard this before. Um, so I guess like me being like a little different made people like interested in me. Um, so I didn't have like a horrible time, like making friends and trying to fit in, but I did have to like be quiet for a lot of conversations because they would be talking about like fucking squash or something I'd be like what the hell is squash wait like the food or the game no the, the game oh it's like really popular is is i squash like tennis and uh, i'll I google that separate. okay we'll google it separate. <laughs> i have no idea either um that's awesome so when did you go was that for your last two years of high yeah. school so okay. 2014 to 2016 Okay. And then you just went straight from there to Tulane. So mm-hmm. that was like your junior and senior. Uh, what did you study at Tulane? What was your experience there? And like now back in New- in Louisiana, but now in a different city in New Orleans. Yeah. I started in public health and then switched to ecology and evolutionary biology, and then ultimately graduated in chemical engineering. Um, so I had a bunch of different majors. I really loved e-bio, but I didn't see myself being able to make a career out of like biology. Um, but, and I, and I realized like as a junior that I wanted to be an engineer. And so my junior year, I switched into engineering. And so, um, yeah, I did that. I had to graduate a semester late because I did that. I was so going to say, probably yeah. a bunch of classes you had to take, like, back. And engineering is, like, a hard one to go into because you have all those prereqs and then all the, the other ones. So, yeah. Yeah, my senior fall, I was in, like, the freshman, like, engineering class. <laughs> Just, like, all of my, like, uh, group members were, like, freshmen. I was like, sup? <laughs> I'm graduating <laughs> soon. Um, yeah, but I'm really glad I did it. I'm so glad I graduated as an engineer um it just like feels right yeah good did you start glass half full like in college at, at what point did you come up even with the idea and and what is glass half full great question yeah yeah thank I'd you this is my you. first podcast <laughs> Not even, like, <laughs> conversation I'm trying to like facilitate the the like narrative for but yeah I'll let you great flow great Thanks. flow I appreciate it babe um yeah so my second uh I guess I was a senior for three semesters so my second semester senior year so the spring of 2020 um right before COVID hit you know just you know tossing you right in there it's January 2020 you know we've heard inklings of COVID but um yeah, over like a bottle of wine. That's kind of the story. You know, every founder has to have that like perfect story. Of course, it wasn't just over this bottle of wine, but we did drink a lot of wine, my co-founder and I slash boyfriend. 
um, in this era. So it's like not out of the realm of possibilities. But we like to say over a bottle of wine that we knew would end up in a landfill because Louisiana has no glass recycling in the entire state. We were like, why does glass need to go to the landfill where it's never going to decompose? It's never going to do any good. What if we tried to do something about it? Um, and so we kind of hatched this plan to recycle glass into sand, um, ultimately for coastal restoration, because if we have a huge coastal erosion crisis in Louisiana, where we're losing a football field's worth of land every hundred minutes and uh, we're in a global sand shortage. So all of these issues kind of like intertwine and we were like, let's turn glass into sand. Um, obviously we were like broke college students. We didn't have any money. So we were like, started a GoFundMe um, and ended up raising a couple thousand dollars through that and started in the backyard of Max, my co-founder's frat house. Um, we were like, hey, it's winter. You don't need the backyard. What if we just like put this like glass recycling thing there? Um, it'll be great for the brand. <laughs> and they agreed. And so we started recycling glass in a backyard and then COVID hit. And then a few months later, we got our first warehouse. And then a few months later, we moved into a bigger warehouse where we're in now and just like continued to grow like step by step. Can I backtrack real quickly to this fraternity backyard? Yes. What? What did glass recycling look like in a fraternity backyard? Was it like the collection process of the bottles or are you actually like, I, I don't even know the science of how you break it down to glass. So that would be really cool too, if you could touch on that. Yeah, we had this really small machine that was like half the size of a normal human being. And you just put one bottle in at the top and it would crush it up with little hammers and turn it into sand like immediately. I mean, not immediately. It was like a few seconds, but basically just one bottle in sand comes out the bottom. Boom. That's it. So yeah, we were in this backyard, like collecting bottles. It was like full of glass. I'll show you pictures. Um, and so we would like beg our friends like, Hey, I know it's Saturday, but wouldn't it be so fun if we like recycled glass today? Um, <laughs> and so we're just like putting bottles through this machine and then like collecting the sand and then like bagging the sand and like things like that. Um, it was really cute. Do you make this machine or is this like a machine, like a legit like machine online? That's like a bottle breaker. Yeah. It's, it's a machine for purchase. Wow. How much did that machine cost to start? The first one was $6,000. Okay. And then our next machine was like 12,000. And then one we have now was 60,000. Wow. And the one we want is 600,000. Wow. We just keep getting bigger and bigger. I love it. That's, that's amazing. So, and I remember in a previous conversation we've had, you mentioned that, you know, people would just be dropping off like bottles to your front yard, or like there was a call to action to all of Louisiana to come to your address to drop off glass. Can you talk about that? Yeah. We had this hilarious idea that we would like put, these side note trash cans are very expensive if you didn't know they're like 90 bucks a oh, trash wow. can yeah it's crazy so we didn't have money for we didn't have trash can money um so we got these like old soap drums again i'll show you a picture and we like cut the top off of them and we spray painted them like glass recycling so it's just these like drums or barrels um and we put them on like street corners one of which being max's house 
one of which being the frat house. Another one was like this pizza place. <laughs> and we would put like one barrel and we'd be like, okay, bring us your glass, like put in that barrel and then we'll collect it. Um, and then, yeah, it became much more popular than we ever thought it would be. So there would be like one barrel. I'll show you a picture. And that would be filled with glass. And then there'd just be like hundreds of bat, like paper bags, cardboard boxes of glass, like all surrounding the barrel. So it just looked like a huge trash pile, just a huge pile of trash. And like we would be sitting on Max's front porch and someone would walk by and be like, you're trashing the neighborhood. Like, <laughs> we'd be like oh or we'd be like sleeping and on a Saturday morning and at like 7 a.m. We'd hear like clink, clink, clink of like people bringing us their glass. And we'd be like, no. well, how would people know to bring it to you, though? We would like posted on social media. We got like a news thing, a news video on us like local news would do some videos on us <laughs> I, people would walk by and see it it's like glass recycling they're like oh I'll put my glass there I mean that's that's so amazing so you've been doing this since 2020 mm-hmm. that's so cool and where do you see your vision of where you want it to go yeah so right now we're we're collecting like we've collected 2.2 million pounds of glass or something like that but which sounds like a lot, but in reality, it's like a drop in the bucket in terms of how much glass waste there is in the state. And like I said, there's no glass recycling in the entire state. And so um, our goal is really to be able to recycle as much glass as possible, like from our region and kind of get this like area down to, to where like everyone feels like they have a place to recycle their glass in Louisiana. Um, And then once we do that, we hope to like go to other cities that don't have glass recycling because there's a lot of like major cities that don't have glass recycling. Um, Mm. And yeah, just like expand throughout the U.S. and maybe beyond. Can you get paid by the government for providing the service of potentially picking up? This is where my head goes of like, like picking up people's glass and then recycling it and then I can see it as like a double bottom line you're doing good for the planet people and there's three p's um yeah people purpose and planet yeah you'd think that the government would want to pay someone to do that because we're actually saving the government money on like tipping fees so instead of them having having to pay for that glass to be put in a landfill we're taking it um but no success there yet. Huh. Maybe maybe other governments, Louisiana and New Orleans in general, the government isn't very like proactive. Yeah. So huh. how has it been growing a company with your boyfriend? It's been great. Be there that you could talk liberally. <laughs> um, no, it's been it's been good. It's been interesting. I mean, we were dating for like three years before starting so we had already kind of had like a rhythm um we already had a dog so (laughs) we were like next step is obviously a business um obviously (laughs) yeah no but but we've we've said it a lot that like if if we weren't dating and one of us started glass half full or like if it was any other way, basically like glass half full wouldn't have been able to grow as quickly as we did because mm. we spend like 
12 hour days, you know, working. I mean, everyone knows, every founder knows what it's like being a founder. So if you like, I don't know, it just, we were able to grow so quickly and work so hard on it because we were doing it together, Mm. you know? So it, it made it like more enjoyable. And like, even now, sometimes it'll be like 6 p.m. We'll be like, oh, we have to go finish the glass recycling route because um, like something came up for an employee and we'll just like hop on the route till like 10 p.m. But it'll be like fun because it's us together. Oh, what has been like the biggest learning curve for for you guys as founders or for you as as the co-founder? Lots of learning curves. We didn't know anything about recycling, didn't know anything about waste management. We didn't know anything about like city like policies or <laughs> trucks or trash cans. We literally learned everything um, as we went and like along the way. Um, the biggest challenge though has definitely been like funding and scaling up enough to like reach the demand. Like we've always had an excess of glass and I'll again, show you pictures, but we have like this glass mountain, we like to call it. And I always put my TikToks are always on glass mountain. Um, It's just like this huge literal like mountain of glass because we're constantly behind and like how much we can process versus how much people want us to recycle. Mm. Um, and so like keeping up with demand has been a huge challenge that we're still figuring out. And you make an excellent point too, of you've been able to leverage social media so well to raise awareness for what you're doing and, and support even, I assume, uh, what got you into utilizing TikTok? How was that like becoming, you know, viral on, on what you've been working on and, and growing support? Good question. I wonder if you can hear me chewing my shower bag. Good. Well, you're good. I think it's just going to be audio too. So you just outed yourself on chewing sour patch kids. <laughs> yum, 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 yum. <laughs> well, I didn't want someone to think it was something, you know, icky. It's just sour patch kids. No, um, I'll take some of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was actually Max in 2020. Max is uh, your co-founder? Yeah. Yeah. Boyfriend. Cute. Yeah. Cutie patootie. Everything. Sour patch kids. <laughs> um, he was the one who was like we should make a tiktok and i was like you sure dude i don't know about that um and he did and it like kind of went viral the first one like got like a couple hundred thousand views and we were like whoa this is easy (laughs) um which it kind of was like in the early days of tiktoks you could post anything mildly interesting or inspirational Mm. and it would kind of go viral because there just weren't that many people creating content at that time um now it's like much harder <laughs> but more saturated now yeah did you um, make that first video yeah it was just like a compilation of like our story like oh we started in a backyard and like we're tired of waiting we're gonna solve this issue and people were like whoa um yeah so he got us on tiktok and and now i like manage the tiktoks but he he planted the seed i love that how did you and max meet too Um, I'm always asked that in like professional interviews and I can never say the true story. I'm like, <laughs> oh, we met in class, but really we met at a bar. Oh, um, like randomly? No, 
our friends were friends and we met in a bar and I was like, mm, that guy's cute. And <laughs> I went to talk to him. And then this, this girl came up to me and was like, back off. He's mine. And I was like, ooh. So then, of course, I was like, well, I, want I wasn't that interested before. But now, come Wait, on. Who was that girl? Just a girl. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Just like a random, like. Well, no. I mean, she liked him, obviously. Oh, and, um, I guess they were like hooking up, but no. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. Um, needless to say, yeah, that's so that's the actual story. Um, <laughs> but usually I'm like, we met in class through mutual friends. Oh, wait, I love that. I love those meet cute stories. Was it like love at first, second sight, I guess, after you were told to stay away? like no it was like love at first sight and that's why she was probably so mad because she was like damn they're in love already that's so cute so you just gave him your number and then you guys got drinks the next day or whatever and rest is history or um we went home together that night oh fun hey queen love it and then started this strong empowering glass recycling environment saving company together I got to go to more bars to find co-founders, I guess. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, that's been, that's been really cool. Can you talk about like the founder story too? Do you have any other co-founders or is it just the two of you guys? Um, just the two of us, like throughout, like we've had other people like in and out kind of thing, but steadily it's been just the two of us. Um, like we're, we've been, we've been the main ones for forever. Like initially we had a third friend in college who was like helping us in the beginning. And then when COVID hit, he left. Um, and we stayed in New Orleans and like continued the fight. And then like in that summer, like a few people came like, Hey, I want to help. And then after COVID they got jobs. And like, um, we also had someone who was like trying to be our CFO which I've talked about in a couple of space calls and ultimately was a horrible CFO. And so we actually like just agreed on a, a price to buy her out. Ha ha ha. Good. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's exciting. That's progress. It feels really good. Yeah. It was like 7%. Um, and so now that's like free to get like actual investors and people who will actually help us and not people who will drag us down. Yeah which is exciting. It feels really good. Congratulations. So that was, so you bought her out because she had 7%. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Good, good, good. And you probably feel so much lighter now without having to worry about that. Do you have someone else that's taken over for CFO roles or? So the the silver lining to all this is that she didn't really do anything. Um, So there was nothing to really like. (laughs) Yeah. That's so (laughs) irritating. Ugh. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I can only, yeah. I, I mean, I've had similar experiences and, you know, hiring, firing, which we've talked about, but yeah, tell it crazy. So based on that, what would be your lessons learned? Um, and yeah, what are lessons learned going forward on like hiring people and things that now you're going to be more cautious of or aware of, I guess. Yeah. It's hard to say just because like every time we invited someone into the work, because our work is impact driven, right? Like, and Max and I 
of course, are like always prioritizing impact and not like profit or money or any of that. We we never like think twice about bringing someone in because we're like, yeah, sure. If it like furthers the mission, whatever. And then it's usually like after we bring that person in that they're like, well, actually I need X, Y, and Z. Like I need to be paid a bunch of money or I need a bunch of equity, blah, blah, blah. And so it's like hard to, I don't know, like Max and I don't want to be completely jaded and, and because our work is based on like inviting people in and collaborating and working together and things like that. I guess like mostly what we've learned is just like to be upfront about our expectations and maybe having a conversation with that person before formally kind of like inviting them in and, and working together and collaborating. But it, yeah, like we never want to not, we don't want to be like people who are not collaborating or inviting, you know, adding more people to the team, like, because more voices is always better. Yeah. But I think that's a really interesting point though, of the more people you bring in, right. And grow your team, your culture changes, right. And making sure that everyone's aligned on mission and what you need. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing or anything to apologize for of making sure beforehand that, you know, everyone's aligned on, on what you can offer and what their value add is. So it's advantageous for everyone. Um, yeah. Surprises suck. <laughs> I just yeah. I say to my team, I'm like, I just give me as little surprises as possible. And like with everyone, right. Like I I'd rather wear my heart on my sleeve and talk through stuff. So there, everyone knows where I stand and vice versa to, to mitigate surprises. So I, I totally relate with that. Um, can you talk about maybe now like things that people can help you on or like areas of support that you'd like you know, maybe resources or support or advice or anything. If anyone makes it to the end of this podcast, <laughs> please message Fran and Tanya in a group chat, purple dinosaur, and let us know you made it to that. No, sour patch kid. Oh, you already dude. used purple dinosaur. <laughs> um, I'll be impressed if anyone makes it to the end, but if they do and they want to help me um, besides Ama and Theo, because they've been so gracious with their time. Um, but I am still preparing for a fundraise. Um, not sure exactly how it's going to look because as an impact business, we obviously want to go for free money first. So like grants, um, sponsorships are becoming like pretty a pretty big part of our um fundraise like we we had a meeting with a watch company um who wants to like throw us a gala and they were like yeah the last the last gala we threw we like donated this solid gold watch and it sold for fifty thousand dollars we're like oh okay wow (laughs) that's amazing yeah so like sponsors just like unique ways of fundraising where we don't always have to give up equity but then also like traditional fundraising. So any tips and tricks there? Um, and also recently, we just kind of talked about it, but like managing people, essentially. Um, I, we're in a unique business and that it's, I guess it's not unique, but it's kind of unique for like young founders to be in a business that's very industrial and like very focused on operations. Um and so it's a really hard job and it's really hot in new orleans and um we pay well we do and we have like benefits and time off and things like that but it's a hard job and so it's hard to kind of 
keep the team like motivated and working efficiently um, while simultaneously like Max and I have to do a lot of like computer work. So it kind of seems like this like tension between like the people in the warehouse versus Max and I who also work in the warehouse a lot, but also do a lot of computer work and interviews and like things like that. Um, and yeah, it just seems like there's been like a lot of tension lately and some people are getting like annoyed or they'll just be like, I'm not working today. Like um, this isn't my life and like things like that. And it's just been like, it's just been hard like managing people, especially as a young person. I'm sure a lot of other founders can relate to that um, when you're like the same age or like younger than the person you're trying to manage. Mm. Did you mean because when you say when people work in the warehouse, it's more so like labor intensive positions, whereas your position, it could be seen as more of like office. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Even though we all pretty much make the same amount, um, that's something like Max and I are pretty proud of. It's like we all pretty much have the same wage. Um, we have small like hierarchy in terms of like who's been here longer. Um, they make a little bit more per hour, but like our average pay is the same as Max and I's average pay. Yeah. Um, so is there, is there like um, price um, transparency amongst the team too? No, uh, I mean, it's such a small team. We're like, it, we have seven employees. So altogether it's nine. Um, I mean, we don't like talk about it, but everyone knows like starting is 1750 after three months, you get a raise just for like sticking around for three months. And then we have one employee who makes like 1925 because he's been here the longest and has the most responsibility. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I have looked into that. Actually, I had a, cl a class in undergrad that I'm like pulling to of um, how price transparency has either helped take away barriers of conversations about like the taboo of talking about money in, in work and also has added elements of friction when there are high like price differences that people didn't know about before. So that, that's why I ask of, of that. Um, that's awesome. And then I just want to wrap up and conclude on, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think would be good for people to know about you, your work, just everything that has to do with Fran Troutman and the amazing, strong, dependent entrepreneur that you are? Uh, um, I don't think so. I think, I think we covered everything. Um, I love space and love everyone who made it to the end of this podcast. <laughs> um, awesome. And you're based in New Orleans. And what are you, last words of like, what are some things outside of work that you enjoy doing then? Nola, baby. Um, I don't have a lot of time outside of work. I do go on walks every day with my dog in like the park or somewhere really beautiful in nature. I live right by a bayou and a big park. So I love doing that. I always make time every day to walk my little dog. Um, so yeah, that's my favorite thing to do. Awesome. And I forgot to ask too, last point, promise, you've been getting national press recently and you were featured on Good Morning America. Is that correct? And 
other networks. Can you talk about like that and like that type of um, like press and exposure and what that's done? Yeah. NBC Nightly, um, Good Morning America, CBS, um, The Guardian soon is the videos coming out Um, and Business Insider. There's been a lot of filming which is actually like pretty annoying. They come, they come at like 6 a.m. and then they stay until like one or two, just yeah. like in your face filming. Um, it's hard to say what like the benefits of having that press has been like. Um, a lot of emails of like older people who like to watch TV and they're either like, this is awesome. I love this, which is great. Or they're like nitpicking like the two minute clip. Like this one lady emailed and was like, you cannot use that fine sand for coastal restoration. It could get airborne and blah, 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 blah. And it was like, great news. They showed the fine sand because it's the prettiest, but that's not the sand we're using for coastal restoration. Like you can't like people just take like this one minute clip and they're like, make all these assumptions about us and what we do, um, which is, which can be annoying, but overall pretty good. It gives us a lot of legitimacy in terms of like trying to fundraise and things like that, which is really helpful. We can be like Lester Holt respects (laughs) us. So you should give us a million dollars. Great. I love that. And how did, how did you get that press though? Did they find like one found you and then that led to another and led to another? I think that's generally how it goes because we go through these phases where like, yeah, one major network will reach out and then like five more reach out right after that. Mm -hmm. Um, But generally they find us through TikTok. Through TikTok. That's awesome. Very cool, Fran. Well, thank you so much for being our first Space Talks. I think that's what I'm going to call it. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, I really appreciate your willingness to just share your story. And I hope this is awesome so that the community will get to know all the amazing work that you are spearheading with Glassful, uh, Glass uh, So thank you. thanks so much for talking with us and for being an awesome member of space. So no this is Danya and Fran signing off. Au revoir. <laughs> <laughs>